Hello, FKJ listeners. Melody here. If you're thinking of going to graduate school, you might want to check out the program at Pacific Northwest College of Art, specifically the MA program in Critical Studies, because we need to interrogate, intervene, and reimagine like never before. And if you check out their program at pnca.edu backslash critical studies, you'll see some really rad courses. And like I said the last time, think what we talk about today could definitely wind up in one of your courses. So, hey, when you get into the program, see if you can read about Thai advice columns for the queer community. Okay, that's what we're talking about this week. thousand feet up, breaking all the lights on the doors, and I ain't seen no ceilings, we came in through the top floor, three oars rip right round your jugular, three oars... You're listening to Feminist Killjoys, PhD, an hour of feminism, pop culture, and politics as discussed by two professional killjoys. I'm Rachel. And I'm Melody. And today we are bringing you our fourth and final episode of Sex and Love Month with a discussion about queer advice columns and some queer advice of our own. But first, Melody, where can our listeners find us on the internet? Rachel, I love when you ask me that. And I would love to tell you that you can find us in select places online. If you haven't already, subscribe to us using your favorite podcast app. If you have the iTunes app on your phone, you can leave us a review or you can slog over to iTunes and leave us a review that way. It's a good way to spread the word about our podcast. On the social media tip, we're everywhere on Instagram, on Twitter, and on Facebook. We have a closed community group on Facebook besides our regular old page where you can just like us. But if you want to join in on some discussions, you can search for Feminist Killjoy's community dash WTF power exclamation point and join us there. On the Spotify, we have the Feminist Killjoy's PhD mixtape, which Rachel keeps updated. Thank you very much to you, Rachel. And if you have extra dollars and want to support us feminist media makers, you can go to our website, fkjphd.com, and click on the Patreon logo to become a micro monthly donator. Or you can click on the bird and leave us a one-time donation through PayPal. Uh, If you are a patron of $1 or more a month, you get access to our Killjoy newsletter that Rachel puts together tirelessly, in which I add content to. You contribute, yes. Okay, let's stop arguing. (laughs) And then also $5 more gets you access to bonus content. And you can always email us at fkj.phd at gmail.com. And announcement, I got a new shipment of stickers in, new designs. But please... Please do not email us. I'm going to set up a new system where people can enter in their address. Um, I might need to collect a small bit of money just to cover some of the postage and the labor because I like literally hand address them and like leave a note and stuff. It is a curated shipment for you, but we have more stickers if you wanted them. I will send out some information soon on how to get them. If you want to find me in 1993, you can call me, call us at 414 858 7818. How are you, Rachel? Well, I've been better. Uh, I have two updates that I'll talk about this week. The first is that I was at a conference in Western Mass at UMass Amherst, which was really wonderful. It was the 
queer radical past conference, and it uh, centered primarily activists. There, there were some scholar activists there, but it was primarily activists, although the keynotes were given by um, Emily Hobson and Dean Spade, who are both um, cool scholar activist folks. And I got to see some of our Minnesota queer family, Libby and uh, Elizabeth, who I know that doesn't mean anything to our listeners, but it does to you. And these are folks that we went to grad school with, listeners. So that was that was really wonderful. It was really rejuvenating. I took a lot of good notes, tweeted a lot. Go look at my Twitter if you want to see some of the really cool comments about um, bridging sort of radical, militant, queer history with contemporary struggle and how it does and does not reflect those sort of um, militant roots, which is really kind of what one of the chapters of my dissertation was about. So that was um, right up my alley. And it was especially great that I was there because um, I got some really, really, really bad news on Thursday. Listeners may remember a couple weeks ago, I was talking about like a secret thing, and I probably sounded really excited about it because uh, I was feeling very hopeful that I would be able to announce that I finally got a tenure track job, which uh, folks know I have not had yet after five years of being finished with my PhD. Unfortunately, I did not get the offer, and that... I've not gotten offers before. Uh, I also got an offer before that I ended up turning down. But the the offers I haven't gotten before did not really hurt at all, partly because I didn't really want the jobs and also because I didn't feel like when I was there that, I, that I, you know, there was no signs that I was definitely going to get an offer or anything or that I was a front runner necessarily versus this experience at the school that I was at doing a campus visit. They gave me a lot of signals that I was like a shoe-in, and uh, I shouldn't have let myself feel as hopeful as I did, but I did. It was truly, truly, truly devastating, and uh, I've been in a pretty bad, pretty deep on-and-off depression about it, um, largely because it is getting harder and harder to have any semblance of, like, financial stability working. You know, I went from a contracts position that paid shitty to adjuncting, which pays much shittier. <laughs> and um, and and I don't have a safety net. As folks know, I'm working class. My mom does, does not have any, she's not able to, you know, help me at all. And so it's really hard for working class academics. And I'm having a lot of, um, I'm not only mourning the loss of this job, but I'm mourning what I thought was going to finally be financial security for the first time in my life ever. And that just sort of got ripped, ripped away, my, that dream. So I'm feeling pretty low and a lot of like self-blaming feelings to be like, why did I let myself like a working class person think that hard work would ever get me anywhere? Because uh, it doesn't work for anybody else that's poor. So far be it for me to think that I could class transition. So having a lot of like spirally things like that that are happening. And so that's where I'm at. And the only reason that like my head is above water is because I have a I have a partner that that is supporting me in many ways. And uh, yeah, so that was a lot. But I want to be honest and vulnerable with our listeners, especially because I'm, I know I'm not the only working class academic out there who has this like panic because it's we're like climbing out of this place that we were raised in. And and it's so precarious. And also, I know I'm not the only person out there who is struggling with getting a good job after getting a PhD. So just want to be real, real about that. I don't know what the fuck I'm going to do, but I figured it out this year, kind of. I'm just tired. I'm tired of working a million low-paying jobs. So anyway, that was a lot. That's how I'm doing. How are you? Sorry about that, to say the least. 
This yeah, is not the first been, time that I've no. talked to <laughs> Right. <laughs> like, very supportive, Melody. You just said sorry about that. Uh, yeah, sorry, no, Mel- sorry about that, Rachel. Sorry. Melody's been incredibly uh, supportive. I should say I should say my partner's not the only reason my head is above water water. I also have many friends and family who are who are being very supportive, including Melody and her partner have been really, really great support systems. So don't worry, listeners, we already Melody already gave gave more than a sorry. We were gold mine, they got it us. And from the sidelines you see me run until I'm out of breath, living the good life I left for dead. The sorrowful Midwest. Well I did my best to keep my head. I'm doing good. I got a lot of snow. You're the you're the one that usually gets a lot of snow, so I finally got a lot of snow. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It looks here. really pretty. Yeah. yeah. So that's been fun. I don't know. I've been feeling like sp- they've been talking about spring a lot here. I don't know how they're talking about it on the East Coast, but everybody's like, it's spring almost. I guess yeah. March. March is this. I was like, March is not spring, but so I've, I'm like feeling this like, oh, my God, what winter projects do I need to finish up before spring? And I really want to mm-hmm. plant more seeds that grow into things this right. spring. It's always hard to do because usually when you start doing that, that's right when like grading kicks in and it just like doesn't right. flow very well with my work life. But I feel like the things that I'm talking about don't mean anything compared to your life. So I feel kind of bad. No. I, you know, I just want to plant seeds and I'm just so busy <laughs> grading and you're like, well, great, Melody, because I didn't fucking get a job. So no, that's I know that's not how you feel, but that's just how yeah. I feel. Yeah. You know, when somebody's like my world's over and you're like, oh, I'm kind of hungry. And like, you don't, you're just like, my needs are just kind of like, yeah, but I need people to keep being human and functional so that I have people I can fall apart with. Okay. I'm functioning. I can, I can be the functional half this week. Great. Um, Great. (laughs) (laughs) uh, Although I've been taking a lot of naps lately. Naps are really fun. Yeah. Well, honestly, I mean, my thought went the re scratch that. (laughs) I I was thinking when you were talking about spring, people are also talking about that here. And the naps could also be because you're starting to face the fact that we're not only leaving winter and you have to finish projects, but also we all know what happens to both of us once once the weather gets warm. My cold heart thaws out. (laughs) No, the opposite. We get well, I know. I know. know. For new listeners, Melody and I don't like spring and summer we feel seasonal affective disorder during those times that's how i'm feeling that's so maybe that i mean i'm feeling depressed because of the job but also it's like god damn it the snow is melting the sun is out here we go here's fucking spring and then comes summer i was thinking about that too yeah but well i'm 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 excited to see what you grow thank you i'll give you updates on it great and you're going to tell us what we're talking about today because this is the most like human I've been in days. So Melody really took charge and handled this prep for this episode. So she's going to I'm going to jump in, but she's she really did a lot of work for this. So tell us what we're talking about. Tell me. I don't know that much. <laughs> <laughs> 
So we were floating the idea on air about doing a queer advice column where people wrote in, why set us up to fail when we could succeed? And so (laughs) I had this other idea anyways, where I would ask Rachel actual advice that is kind of queer-ish and like see what her advice would be and then tell her what the actual advice was. So anyways, I just want to do that because that sounds fun to me. And Rachel's like, sure. So we're definitely going to do that. But first, um, because I'm an academic Actually, because I'm a learner, it's one of my top five traits. And so I thought I would do some research into queer advice columns. I was just curious if there's any research done on it. And there is. So I wanted to tell you a little bit about that and get your thoughts. I had some questions on some of the research and then um, ask you some advice that you can then give us. Does that sound okay? That sounds great. Thank you. You're welcome. Okay, so I dug into the research on queer advice columns, and I have this to report to you all. Treat this as a literature review. One thing that I found surprising is that a lot of the research that that is done on advice columns, and I was specifically searching for queer, gay, and lesbian just because that's what we are and thought it'd be more interesting than any research done on just general advice columns for the straights and the, what is Elizabeth called? The breeders? The breeders, yeah. I love it. But it turns out that a lot of the research that's been done is actually on international, like has an international lens. So Hmm. one of the best ones that I found that I'll talk about is based in Thailand. There's a lot written about Japan. And I also found a cool article. It's not a cool, it's not cool, but a decent article about Finland, about advice columns in Finland. I did run into also advice column research on like Cosmo and men's magazines. Um, yeah. It was very quantitative. I did find one on Dan Savage, which you all are probably thinking about as I'm talking about queer advice columns. And we have plenty of critiques to throw at Dan Savage. But the research showed the the person who kind of analyzed specifically, well, Dan Savage coined this term pegging, which is when a woman or, yeah, I'm just going to use their language. A woman puts on a dildo, has sex with her boyfriend or male partner up the booty butt, anal sex, otherwise known as. <laughs> <laughs> up the booty butt. Up the booty butt. And so the researcher very smartly was suggesting how his coinage of the term pegging normalized the activity in the straight world, and it helped maintain straight people's straightness instead of him pushing them to understand that as a queer act of sex. Hmm, Interesting. Yeah, yeah. So he gave straight people, well, quote unquote, straight people, their own terminology for that act when there's plenty of queer people of all genders and stuff that do that same act. But for straight people, he gave them their own word and then they argue interesting they argue then that that helped normalize the activity which is good that's a plus right so then more people experiment with that but it also it didn't help people broaden their definition of who they are and like it made them feel safer because they're like well dan savage gave me this term and so i'm still straight because he gave the straight people this term and so i'm you know as if it's like right it would be the end of world end of the world if Dan made people question their straightness and be like, maybe you're a little queer. Interesting. Yeah. Question for you. Did you know that these are called agony columns? Agony aunts and uncles are the advice column writers? Oh, uh, no, I didn't know that. Okay. I didn't either. Hey, everybody, just so you know, sex advice columns or any kind of advice columns are referred to as agony columns. It's like a well-known term, I guess. Huh. And in the research, they kept referring in all sorts of research, they were referring to agony aunts and uncles. And those are the people that write the the responses. So like Dan Savage would be an agony uncle. That's wild. No, I had never heard that. Interesting. Yeah. And I googled it. And they're like, 
the definition just popped right up. They're like, duh, Melody, it's an <laughs> advice column. So huh. there you go. We're also talking yeah. about agony columns, which I just like, <laughs> that's such an intense word for me. Like agony? It isn't. Really? It is like, intense. <laughs> I mean, the advice columns I like best tend to be that level of intensity. What's your favorite I mean, advice column? Dear Sugar, I'm really basic. Yeah. I'm like a basic B. Whatever. It's, it's just, it's beautiful. It's that's, beautiful. Her letters are beautiful. Everybody should get um, one of her books. It's a book. Yeah. They compiled some of her stuff into a book. Any more books yeah. or just one? That's it for the advice column. Um, she has other books, uh, Wild and I forget the other, Torch, I think. I don't, those aren't, I don't like those. I mean, Wild is a lovely story for people who have mom feelings, but no, Tiny Beautiful Things is the book that the advice columns are compiled into. This is Cheryl Strait we're talking about, by the way. Um, that's why I'm basic, but I think it's beautiful. What about, who's your favorite advice columnist? That's what I would say. Is Dear Sugar, mm-hmm. actually. I don't read a lot yeah. of advice columns, though, because I never really agree with the advice, and then they just make me angry. Mm. There's also, I like Ask Polly. She's good. And there's this there's this new advice column called Dear Comrade Femme. And like... Uh, <gasps> I've heard that's really <laughs> good. Um, yeah, folks should write me. I haven't written one in a long time, but that's that's my advice column, Dear Comrade Femme. Anyway, tell me more. Tell me more about the your research. Okay. So my favorite of all of these is the Thailand book, and it's called The First Queer Voices from Thailand by Peter Jackson. The subtitle is Uncle Go's Advice Column for Gays, Lesbians, and Katoes. I hope that I'm pronouncing that right. K-A-T-H-O-E-Y-S. And that is a specific defined community in Thailand that at this point refers to femi-masculine people in Thailand. They're also known as ladyboys, um, sometimes referred to as the third gender, M to F. And so the this subculture is well-known in Thailand, and it is definitely stereotyped in a lot of ways, but it's a core group in the queer world. And I'm saying this as an outsider, so I'm having as much cultural competency I can in, in this realm, but I'm no expert. I'm just like kind of reporting on the research. It is almost near impossible to speak in English Western language about some some different gender communities and identities in non-Western spaces. Our fr- we've talked, I think we've talked about our friend Ani Duda uh, on the podcast before, and they've written about this. Like there's literally, like you said, subculture. And I think in the U.S., like if we called like trans people a subculture, people would be like, what the fuck? Like that's so fucked up. They're not a culture. It's their gender. But it is like a it is deeply cultural in a, in in non-western spaces gen, gender communities um same with mouches in mexico and and the the list goes on in terms of different genders in in non-west nations so i just want to say that stumbling is it is very understandable even if even if you had read more about this in general, because there really isn't like language to totally explain it in English, if that makes sense. Yes. And actually, it's fascinating that you bring that up because one of the reasons that Peter Jackson wrote this and I, he said it, he's on his like third edition of this book or like iteration of this research. He found that Western first generation queer theory couldn't provide an understanding right. for the queer community in Thailand. So he actually argues that exact thing. It is very hard to talk about the queer community in Thailand using Western terminology. And he right. found that the queer theory that was produced here, so thinking sex, like all of that kind of new baby theory that we were going over, wasn't helpful at all. And right. so he had to do his own research, establish his own theories, and like analyzed the advice columns there in his own way and did not rely on Western queer theory. Yeah. Because I'm sure there was theorizing by Thai folks that he could have 
looked for, Correct. which you're saying he did. Correct. Yes. Well, because, yes. yeah, the problem was the translation issue as well, because right. he was writing for a Western audience. The book is in English. And so right. there was a lot of ex- explanations leading, like, at the in the beginning of the book, kind of explaining, like, where he came from and yeah. where he came from, basically, meaning, like, where his research stemmed from and why he wasn't using queer theory that yeah. we might be familiar with. But what's interesting, I mean, one thing that I'll just say about this book, and I, I encourage people to read it check it out online, is that back in 1975, when one of the magazines in Thailand started covering Ketoes, the third gender, M to Fs, the reason why the magazines covered them more was because they got such a great response from readers of mm-hmm. all genders, sexualities, that it was like people were really curious in a respectful way and wanted more coverage. Um, he also found that it got fetish, they got fetishized a lot. And there was in Uncle Go, he was the, he's the popular advice columnist. Um, he definitely like had this masculinist approach to talking about, for the lack of a better term, subculture, which reminds me of Dan Savage and how he's also been critiqued for how he's dealt with the transgender community here. So I think very similar issues going on. But it was really interesting to find out that even back in the 70s, the larger public was very curious and wanting to know more from a just a curiosity perspective, not in a like, let me demonize these people kind of way. So that is why advice columns took on so many questions about uh, different queer groups in Thailand. Interesting. Yeah. And there's three magazines that Uncle Go wrote for. And another just interesting thing for archivists out there, the magazines, the way that they're printed in Thailand, the paper that's used, they literally break apart. And so um, he had to do this research a lot quicker than he wanted because the magazines were literally falling apart. And he wow. had... Yeah. Interesting. So his book is also like probably the strongest archive of these magazines once right, they literally right. fall... Yeah, he said they're brittle and they break apart. Wow. Yeah. That's such an interesting like meta methods research, like archive mm-hmm. nerdy thing to think about. Yeah. It's really interesting. Yeah. It's cool. Cool. The more cool. you know. And then there's another awesome book that I wanted to let people know about called Queer Japanese Gender and Sexual Identities Through Linguistic Practices and written in 2010. And chapter one is all about advice columns. So it's called Queer Etiquette, question mark, advice columns with a difference. Hmm. In this book or in this chapter, they talk about in Japan how the advice columns created an imagined community where like queerness was celebrated everywhere. And this was the kind of research that I was hoping to find more of, kind of like this hopeful, wistful, like, yes, queer advice columns, like, brought us all together as a community. Yeah. And uh, so that definitely was happening in Japan. And there's another article about gay men in Japan and the advice columns for them as well. And so, inter- like, lots of research on Japan and, and advice columns for better. Yeah. 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 Um, and then there was another one, and this is where I learned the agony terminology, and this is the one from Finland. It's called Tracing Ambivalent Norms of Sexuality, Agony Columns, Audience Reaction, and Parody. They were talking about advice columns being like a form of translation for people. So like if we think about the queer community or just like lesbian, like lesbian sex, mm-hmm. so that they're arguing that columnists are translators. And so it, it basically normalizes what could be seen as marginalized sexual lifestyles, for the lack of a better term. Mm -hmm. But I didn't love that because it's like that gives a lot of power to the columnist to translate. Right. right? So like to put it in a a U.S.-centered thing, it's like, okay, so if Dan Savage is our translator, like I trust him on some stuff. I don't trust him 
on everything to be the translator. Right. Interesting. Um, yeah. There wasn't a lot of discussion of actual queer cultures being represented in the advice columns. But what came up, and this is why it came up in my search, is that in Finland, they have prostitutes that are sex educators. So you can get a lesbian prostitute. So if I wanted, if I'm like a lesbian and I haven't had sex with a woman yet and I'm nervous about it, I can hire a prostitute and she'll like sh- teach me how to have sex with another woman. Hmm. And so that's how it came up. Um, and it's interesting because then it took on, in terms of translation, like that's an interesting way to look at sex work. Like as yeah. we see it, a viable <laughs> source of income and career but that it like has this educational aspect to it which i think helps people see it as not trash although nobody sees it as trash but kind of all over the place with the research but i like learned a lot especially how different countries take on advice columns and yeah yeah yeah. that's super that's super fun thank you for doing that research and if anybody else has more that they want to share let us know okay are you ready to give some advice i sure am Okay. Do you want one about a lesbian, trans, a new transgender person to the family, or a noob to sex question? Oh, gosh. I'm any of those sound interesting to answer. I okay. mean, I'll have different position relationships to each of them. Okay. We'll start with the transgender advice. Okay. Okay, it says, my brother Tom, his wife and three adult children stopped attending family events a couple years ago. As it turned out, one of Tom's sons shared with the family that he was gender transitioning to become a woman. And so now that nephew is Laura, my new, well, what what they refer to as our new niece, Laura. Which is correct. The correct way to say that. Yes, 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 yes. And so that's why they were out of touch for a little while. And so what what the adv- person writing in wants to know is that um, they're going to be having a gathering soon and Laura will probably be there. And so they write, I'm at a loss as how to greet her when she walks through the door after giving her a big hug, of course. I want to say something that acknowledges this important step in her journey, but I do not want to say anything that might seem insensitive or awkward. Raj, you always seem to have the right words for any occasion. Please help. (laughs) Well, I am glad that this letter writer is thoughtful and wants to be a good uncle. Is it an uncle or an aunt writing in? Mm. Or either. I mean, doesn't matter. Gender is unclear. And why don't we have a gender neutral term for aunts and uncles and nieces and nephews? I bet we do. I'm learning. I just learned date mate. Shout out to our last week's guest, Molly Woodstock, for teaching me date mate instead of boyfriend or girlfriend for a person you're dating. So I'm sure that there there are non-binary communities. They have it on. They have it on lock probably. I need need um, a term. I just have somebody in my life who is gender. Let us, folks listening, I know somebody knows that. Um, Let us know. Okay. So I think, oh, yeah, this is this is tough because honestly, I think questions about trans folks and like etiquette and what to do is complicated because every trans person is an individual and will want Mm -hmm. different things. My partner and I, we actually were in Teen Vogue and wrote about uh, sort of how to how to be a good ally to trans people and kind of came at that bottom line. It's like, I don't know what Laura will will want, but. As an umbrella statement, it's possible and this this could be good or not, but I think as as an umbrella possibility is a hug and just uh so good to see you, so glad. We just want you to be happy or not 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 in like a not in a set not in like a dismal way, but like a so glad you're you're doing what makes you happy. I don't know, but even that sounds like she might not want that. She might not want like a big to do about it. 
maybe just saying Laura and giving her a hug, right. <laughs> you know, affirming her name. I, w- I wouldn't say like, you look wonderful, because I think as a society, we should try to I think there's a push to move away from physical comments about people's people's physical bodies for trans folks i think that can be hit and miss depend again because they're all individual humans so it could it could vary i'm not giving the most eloquent advice on this because it's a difficult question because i don't know what laura will want but i think a big hug and we love you just i love you glad you're happy or something like that yeah what do you think i would I'd probably say less is more. And I can, yeah. I can, I can relate to the anxiety in the question. Kind of like, I think what this person is really trying to say is I want to let Laura know that they're super supported and that I'm totally down with Laura being Laura. How do I express that right away? You know, right. and I think that's something that a lot of us face is like, I think like during Black Lives, the Black Lives Matter movement, when it was like really elevated, you know, white people were like, how do I express that I love all black people? And it's like, <laughs> right. okay, all right. But, you know, talking to some of my students, like they know people can tell when you're supportive. You don't need to do much. Eye contact, all that small things, giving them a hug, like that sends that sends a lot larger of a message that I think people realize. Yeah. And just that enough is enough. Yeah, that's why I think I was struggling. It's like, I don't know, say what you would normally say. You know, you don't need to overdo it. Like you don't right. need to like cover all the ground. The original advice columnist was the point that she made was Laura's going to be in your family for a long time. You have plenty of time to establish a relationship with Laura. You don't need to, right. like, get everything out in the first 30 seconds that you see her. Right, right. Who was that, by the way? What, what column? Uh, ask Amy. Cool. cool. I don't love her advice, but she's pretty hilarious on Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me. Okay, I want to ask you one about a sex noob. N-0-0-B. Okay, this one is great. Okay, I really i am curious what you have to say. So, I'm a 22-year-old woman. I came out as bisexual at 18. At that point, I hadn't had any sexual encounters. Um, since then, I've only had two one-night stands, both with men, and very little sexual experience otherwise. And then this person goes on to say, I have a lot of friends who are my age that are having a lot of same-sex sexual encounters. And so, like, they'll say, like, I made out with so many girls last night. So this person then says, while I'm obviously very happy that people are exploring their sexual identity, it's also stirring up some conflicting feelings for me. I guess I'm looking for help in working through how to understand my own sexual identity in light of so many of my friends' same-sex encounters and perceptions of their sexual identity, especially when I feel so aware that I have such minimal sexual experience. Do you get what she's asking? Because I kind of skipped some stuff. I think so. She's having like, no, I'm the bisexual one. You're supposed to be straight. And fuck, I haven't even made out with girls yet or or non people who aren't men. And uh, now so I'm feeling I'm feeling like imposter syndrome about my bisexuality and also a little bit jelly that you all are getting yes. some action from from lady babes. This is tough. I oh, I can relate to imposter syndrome as a queer person. I mean, I had it's, you know, and still to this day I've primarily been with cis men, but my first girlfriend was in college when I was 19 probably, and I didn't know what the fuck I was doing, and that is really scary and can be really confusing because sex is tricky no matter what. And when we live in a society that doesn't talk about queer sex, it's like, it's just, it's just 
sometimes scarier to approach because there aren't like a million movies that like imply how to do it and like all of these things. And when they do, it's usually like very wrong um, and not how it usually actually works. So I think to that, I would just say like, soothe your heart. Like it's, you are not an imposter. You are bisexual because that is who you are and that is how you feel. I'm going to go back to our guest from last week again. Molly was saying the same thing. Like you can be bisexual and literally never have sex with anybody other than men and you can still be bisexual like that is still a thing that is your identity and people can't take that from you you know you know what's in your heart um i think is what molly described so just try to feel confident in that it is a it is a struggle um you know some the thing that we were going to talk about last week also that we didn't get to is the imposter syndrome when you are with men and you're like, no, no, I'm queer. I'm queer. I'm really queer. And it's it's it it erases you. And I and I get it. So all I will say is that queer people and queer community will the you know good good queers will embrace you regardless of who you ha- how much sex you've had and who you've had it with. I think in terms of like the sort of like cranky feelings that your quote unquote straight friends. Um, that's that is hard too because there is this like cultural phenomenon of like girls making out with girls at bars and it just being you know a la Katy Perry I kissed a girl being this very flip like oftentimes sort of in the service of the male gaze kind of stuff and that can be really infuriating when you're like this is my identity that I'm like grappling with intensely and you're just doing this like as a fun funny thing you did at a bar but my comment to that would be it's going to be I mean I think you're going to feel uncomfortable and or just like a little bit you're going to feel some feelings about that but also I just think that it's we should do more of kind of embracing that as like most people are queer really like we just live in a society that has taught people to think that they're straight so it could be a good thing to help remind your friends like cool we're all like queer together like we're all I mean it could it could be a way to build community in that way and remind people who think that they're straight that 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 there are more options i don't know mel what do you think i do you think i was answering it correctly do you think that that's what she was getting at there is no right or wrong answer yeah no i know but But yeah that i was getting her point it's like the two it was like a it's like a two-pronged question it's like one Mm -hmm. i'm not feeling very bisexual because i haven't had sex with women yet and okay well how many women do you have to have sex with to like be deep bisexual there is no rule like that so what molly said stands and yeah, not comparing yourself. I mean, she's rather young. I mean, which normal feelings at, at that point. I guess people of all ages can have these feelings. I shouldn't limit them to age. There's something going on in our culture about the exoticization, I guess, of lesbianism, like kissing girls. Um, mm-hmm. And so it's really easy for other girls to make out with each other, but then still be considered straight and not have to process that. And I don't know if that's like good or bad, but it's it complicates things when you are queer, you're bisexual, you're out as that, right? And then you see your straight friends kind of passing in the wind and like kissing some girls and then going back to their quote unquote straight life and not having to deal with having an identity that is is not totally accepted writ yeah. large. So I can see that there's a lot of stuff to unpack there. But the answer, like you're saying, is if we all just understood that we're all a little bit queer, there wouldn't be this weird straight culture, the straight right. lesbian culture, um, which has right. also been reaffirmed in the porn industry, which is really annoying. But that's f- yeah. for another time. I mean, I think it's just, yeah. it's complicated. And if everybody could just understand that everybody's queer a little bit, and maybe you're not, but like, 
if you're doing queer shit, you're queer. Like, that's fine. Right. That's right. fine. It's all good. Right. I don't know. Yeah. What column was that from? That was from uh, Scarletine. A teenage- oh, cool. Yeah. Yeah. Love Scarletine. Do we have time for one more or should we wrap it up? We technically do. I'm looking at the clock. We technically would have time for one more if you think it's shortish. I haven't looked at these. Yes. It's just about lesbianism. I'm a healthy and vibrant 40-year-old woman in a same-sex marriage. I just like that a lesbian wrote into like a mainstream advice. Yeah. It just made me feel good. After only six months of marriage, I feel like an old maid. My wife and I have suffered a lot of turmoil in a short time with the death in the family, job loss, illness, blah, 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 blah. So basically, she is complaining this actually doesn't have anything to do with lesbianism, but it involves lesbians. But she feels like she's working twice as hard. And her wife doesn't help with any of the household chores. And I feel like I'm an unappreciated servant. And then her wife comes back and says that she's mentally ill and she needs to get help because she's bipolar. And so she doesn't know what to do. And like, how can she basically change this toxic fighting? You're the advice columnist. What would you say to them? <laughs> this sounds really tough. And it sounds like there's some emotional abuse and toxicity, which is often at a certain point, a very two-way street. But it does sound like the wife is being particularly... Um, verbally abusive, which is, you know, not okay. And I hope this person knows that she deserves, you know, better, better treatment than that. It sounds like her, yeah, her wife is saying she, her wife is saying that the writer, the letter writer is mentally ill and bipolar and needs medicine. And that is, that is really difficult to be, and that can get into gaslighting territory, right? Like to yep. be told that you're crazy and that that is the problem versus the sort of likely two-way street of toxicity. I think that couples therapy is definitely important. And it sounds like the letter writer agrees with that. So w- hold off on medicine and diagnosing. And I think it's okay for you to say, hey, you're not a therapist. Please don't pathologize me or diagnose me. But counseling is amazing individually and as a couple, I think would be really important for this kind of situation. External factors can be a real fucking really heavy thing for relationships. And I, uh, I'm i not a person that thinks that, you know, that, that what this person is describing, that she should leave her wife right away. I, I just, I think it's, you know, as a transformative justice person, I believe that People who participate in abuse are not necessarily abusive monsters at their core. You know, it's much more complicated than that. And I think that it sounds like there's certainly hope in this. But I think starting with counseling, starting with knowing her self-worth, that she doesn't deserve to be yelled at and, uh, and you know, making clear that it's not okay for her wife to diagnose her, certainly when when it sounds like it's in, in a sort of blaming way. So start find a good couples therapist, I think, is where where to begin and do whatever you need to do for yourself for self-care to to try to de-escalate in yourself, even the moments that are really triggering, which is honestly the hardest thing in the world. And I know that firsthand. What do you think? I think you basically should be a highly paid columnist because you basically <laughs> offer the same advice, if not better advice than the columnists do. So well, thanks. Everybody should write me at Dear Comrade Femme and then tip me on my PayPal, which I'm going to self promote more because I don't have a job with a she salary. She needs that money. It's Get true. her that money. I think that hashtag is- fuck you pay me. Just kidding. That's hashtag, all throwback to that's, that's amazing. Throwback to Findom. Yeah, uh, I'm not a Findom. I'm not. I'm not a Dom. Oops. Sex and Love Month. Here I am. I'm a sub. Anyway, go ahead. <laughs> um, I would have never guessed that about you. 
Sarcasm. Okay. Um, Lull. Lull, lull. I would say, well, what I really like about the, your advice is spot on, and I would say the same thing. What I love about this too is that it shows people that are not in same sex relationships that every couple has the same yeah. arguments. Like, this is something that everybody, not everybody, but a lot of people could go through. Like, one of the comments on it is, uh, this is, I could have written in the same thing about my husband, and it was a woman leaving that comment it's just showing that like all sorts of couples have the same sort of issues but i also like that the columnist didn't respond at all to the fact that they're in a same-sex relationship like that doesn't actually matter i'm not really sure why i mean i think it's just good for visibility to mention yeah but at the same time like it actually doesn't matter in this situation right because it's so applicable across all situations yeah there is i mean i will say since she specifically mentions household chores like there is a socially constructed dynamic of oftentimes men and and honestly masculine of center people not you know sort of not doing that so there could be certainly some gender dynamics happening in this and i i have no idea if this couple has any kind of butch femme dynamic or not Mm -hmm. or completely maybe they're both femmes who knows yeah they didn't mention that they didn't mention that and that's there there are some interesting articles written about sort of women and people who are socialized female and femmes are often it's like of course they're going to do the dishes of course they're going to clean because otherwise nobody would because it's they think about that whereas oftentimes people socialize as male um and oftentimes even masculine center folks who weren't socialized male will sometimes not think about that. So there could be a gender dynamic. I just don't, there's not enough information for us to know. Cool. Well, thanks for finding those. That was great. Thank you for all the work. I'm going to clap for Melody's hard work on this episode, producing it. RWL. Reading, watching, and listening to with Rachel and Melody. Beautiful. I'm reading a book about First Avenue, the venue in Minneapolis. I got it as a birthday gift from my partner, and I love reading it. It's like a picture book slash history book on this amazing venue, and that is also where Purple Rain was filmed in parts. Mm, so there's a big Prince angle to it. It's written by my favorite music critic, Chris Remishnemer. He's got a long last name, so I just mm-hmm. I'll spell it out for the social meds. I'm watching. A lot of clips that my students are sending me as they pitch me on their representational analysis papers. But I've been, I watched, my favorite was a video game trailer. And the video game is Life is Strange. And I'm so captivated by it that I started up a Steam account and I downloaded the game. And my Mac is not updated completely so i cannot play the game today but i like want to play it because it's about i think it's queer a queer woman or a woman that has very strong sexuality like she's just like her own self and it's an episodic game where like uh, a very strong and i want to i downloaded the game i'm going to play it it's episodic it's a drama i've never played a video game like that i'm very excited so that's what i'm watching and perhaps playing soon And then I'm listening to this band who is on Spotify, but is a local band called Sister Species. And do you remember the band Dark, Dark, Dark? Did you ever get into that? Oh, yeah. Very, very similar um, in terms of the style, like accordion. uh, There's two part harmony with uh, two women. And then there's a horn section. And I saw them out when my brother was playing a show. They opened up and they were just like super rad. And they had a... One thing that you could buy from them was a 
illustrated sheet that said how to survive winter and it just had all these like really cute suggestions they're very like i'm sure they make a lot of zines and they make their own clothes like those kind of people so i just love them in general so that's great fun yeah what about you i'm reading still working through the eli claire book that i mentioned last week uh brilliant imperfection uh very making my way very slowly i um didn't do a ton of reading this week i got I had a busy week up to the bad news, and then the bad news happened, and then I was at a conference. Watching The Good Place. Have we talked about The Good Place yet? Mm, I don't think so. Tell me more. I didn't like it at first, and I thought it was just like a stupid comedy, and I was confused why people liked this new sitcom with Kristen Bell and Ted Danson. Oh, I saw a commercial for this. Yeah. Yeah. I was really unimpressed the first couple episodes, but shout out to Mish Zimdars, who I trust former guest and friend of the show, who I trust her her opinion on TV shows a lot. And she was like, no, no, it's really good. And I was like, if Mish likes it, I'm I'm missing something or like I just haven't gotten to the part that it's really good. And it really grew on me. Uh, I ultimately think it's actually a beautiful representation of that sort of bolsters like abolitionist and transformative justice politics. And I don't think that it's really setting out to do that in that framework, but I think it does do that. Um, There's a lot of really lovely human things that happen in there and i would recommend it it's a really it's a really heartwarming show and it's been really good for me during this hard week um listening to uh the black panther soundtrack still it's so good i haven't listened to it at all it's really good we also didn't talk about we i mean we intentionally like lemonade black panther is a movie that should be written about and discussed uh in terms of publicly primarily by by black people right i mean that's who it's yeah. you know it's art that is that white white folks opinions doesn't matter as much but um we both did see it and we both did have thoughts on it so maybe in a bonus upper we can come back to it at some point are you team killmonger obviously okay yeah. i mean and i've read some really good critiques i mean obviously there was a really good article about you know killmonger does, doesn't care about women, including black women. And there is obviously misogyny in that. But this goes back to that question we talked about from Alexia a few weeks ago about like militant Marxist, well, like militancy. I mean, he was basically Mao. So I considered him like a militant Marxist. Um, And he was very Black Panther, who were Marxist Leninists. I mean, totally militant, arm the people. And I'm like, very Mm -hmm. supportive of that. And also, I wish that death and violence didn't have to be a part of it. And I certainly don't like that he fucking trained himself in the army, the U.S. Army, and killed people overseas or or in or in the U.S., obviously. Um, so, yeah, I mean, yes, with an asterisk. Team Killmonger with an asterisk. Yes, I agree. What I was just yeah. more of his ideologies, not his actions, which, I, of course, right. you cannot separate from people. But Right, right. Yeah, I, yeah. For, yeah, we should just do a Same bonus more. up on this because I, I okay. really do want to. I've been talking about it a lot with my students and some of my students who are black are going to actually write their representational analysis papers about that very thing. Awesome. Because they were sensing they were like feeling the tension between Killmonger and Black Panther. Like they're like, I feel that in my actual life with yeah. people mm. from Africa and then people who are African-American. Like, yeah, it's a well-known conflict which again not my not my world at all just my students tell me that it's it reflects it so yeah i'll have to share what my students were sharing with me as well very good wtf power and done
was it harmless when I showed up? Harmless, were you harmless when I showed up? Was I honest in 